Welcome back to episode two of Side Pitch. I'm your host, Callan Swain, and you're listening to the podcast that's from the current creators of the world to the future creators of the world. That's you. We're taking a look at different industries to find out what creative or even revenue generating projects people start on the side. Today, we're actually going to be talking to someone that I've met throughout my past 10 months living here in London, England, which to some people is known as one of the fashion capitals of the world. Her name is Barbara Santa Maria, and she's a freelance fashion journalist. From living in many different countries around the world to even working for the media giant CNN, Barbara seems to have no fear. For those of you who are aspiring freelance journalists or have thought about doing any type of freelance for a little moolah on the side, this episode is for you. Listen in. Hi, my name is Barbara Santa Maria. I am from Chile. Um, Santiago de Chile, and I have been London-based since 2014. I am a journalist and a content creator. I didn't know you've been here since 2014. Was that right after uni? No, actually, I lived in Berlin for a couple of years before coming to London. Was your degree in journalism? It was, yeah. I studied five years in Chile, and when I finished, I thought, I need to get out, I need to do something else, I want to try Europe. So I moved to Berlin. I looked for a job in journalism, and it was really hard because obviously my native language is Spanish, it's not German. So actually one of the reasons why I decided to go into freelancing was because it allowed me to work in my own language. Oh, so are most of your articles in Spanish? Yeah, at the beginning they were. I was looking for a job in, in Berlin, mostly writing in English, but Berlin wasn't as international as it is now. So... I, I was really looking for a job, I spent a few months doing that, driving myself crazy because I had nothing else to do. Then I thought, you know what, I need, to, I need to write in my own language. So I started approaching media companies from Chile and from South America that could be interested in getting stories from me that would be about the city of Berlin and the European fashion scene, which was kind of my interest at the moment. Wow. So I guess when you had your degree, it was in overall journalism, right? It wasn't just in fashion journalism. Yeah, that's right. And uh, uh, before coming to Europe, I worked at CNN. So it was a very strong journalistic uh, side. And, uh, you know, reporting was everything I did before. So like I was really chasing the news. I would go and interview presidents and (laughs) uh, it wasn't about fashion at all. What made you decide to go on to fashion? It was something that I always wanted to do. I was always interested in fashion. And uh, the fashion scene wasn't really big in Chile. And uh, it's still growing. Uh, And so I thought, you know, I'll I'll move to Europe and I'll pursue this dream. Um, And Berlin seemed like a city, like like a fashion capital. So I thought I'll go there. And also my boyfriend was there. So, I mean, it was an easy choice. Okay, I'm, I had no idea that you worked for CNN. That is really cool. What was that experience like? It was, it was a lot of work. I was not in front of the camera. I was behind. I was helping, uh, like the bigger journalists do their stories. So they would send me to get some quotes. They would send me to talk to people, but I wasn't really in front. I did do some voiceovers, so you could hear me sometimes. And I would write the text that you would see on the screen. Like when the presenter is presenting a new story, you see, you know, on the bottom line of the screen, the the headline, and that would be written by me. So that was really exciting, but it was a lot of work. And it was definitely very exciting because all the time you are 
you're waiting for something to happen. It was very chaotic and it was very fast paced. I remember during the time I was working there, the Pope resigned. In Europe, it must have been like in the morning, but because of time difference, it happened at maybe 6 or 7 a.m. in Chile. So the office was more or less empty and I was there. And I remember it was like, oh my God, the big thing, the Pope has resigned. Uh, we have to, uh, quick, Barbara, you go talk to an expert in religious matters and ask what this will mean. Someone needs to write a story about how's the process for, for choosing a new Pope. And someone else needs to go talk to the, the priest in Santiago and see what are his chances of getting elected. And like it was a whole thing and it was just, it was very exciting. It was a very vibrant uh, and dynamic environment. So was that the Pope that resigned and then the Pope now, the Argentinian Pope? Was that the one? Yeah. So that was huge in South America. Yeah, it was. Yeah. Wow. Wow. I I cannot imagine. So then you decided, okay, this is a lot of work. It's amazing having CNN on my resume. Was it also that you wanted to go towards something that was a little slower paced and a little more creative rather than politics? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it was very interesting and it was a really good school for me, but everyone working there had no personal life. It was really the kind of career that really absorbs everything. I, I knew for myself, this is not the kind of life I want to lead. And I was always interested in fashion. So the next uh, logical step was for me to move into fashion. Uh, okay, okay. I know that you said that it was your interest throughout your whole life before you actually jumped into doing journalism in the fashion industry. Did you do a lot of research on the side before you decided to jump into the industry? Um, so what happened was I, I moved to Berlin. I was looking for jobs in all kinds of industries and sectors, and I could not find something. I spent a couple of months doing that. And when you are, you know, unemployed, you have lots of time. So I would educate myself on fashion. I would read books and I was following every blog on the planet. I was I was looking at documentaries. So I was really getting a lot of information just from the internet. And because I didn't go to a formal fashion school, right? But it, it, because I was so interested in the in the topic, I was just... I was absorbing everything like a sponge. I loved it. And then when the time came that I started writing fashion stories, I kept learning more. I would write stories and I would research the hell out of them so I could know more and more and add lots of context and lots of lots of interesting points into that story. So this is kind of how I started building my fashion knowledge. So when you were looking for jobs in the fashion industry, did you feel like a lot of the employers were looking for people who had degrees in fashion or, you know, fashion journalism? Like, is that what made it difficult for you to, to get a job? Um, I'm not sure if it was necessary, but at one point in my career, I did decide it was something that I wanted to do. So when then when I moved from Berlin to London, I did do a course in fashion journalism at the London College of Fashion. Um, so I could have that in my in my CV. Yeah. And that's so perfect because it's European based. Do you think that your credentials of working at CNN and your journalism degree is the thing that kind of was able to get your foot in the door then? I think so. Um, and also, a lot of it was, you know, my enthusiasm and my drive to work there. So I would be, you know, sending story ideas to different magazines, different media outlets. And I was I was putting forward my story ideas so that they would, you know, choose to work with me. Because when you are a freelance uh, writer or a freelance content creator, things won't come to you. You have to go and pursue them. So that was a big part. 
can you share with us some of the names of the magazines that your articles have been posted in? A lot of them, ha- a lot of my stories have been online. Okay. So when I started out, I was working a lot with two Chilean brands. One was Distrito 56 and the other, that was purely fashion. And the second was a lifestyle company. And I was writing lifestyle stories and beauty and fashion. And that was called Belelu. And then I was also doing stories for another company, which is called Mundo Mujer. <laughs> Sorry, someone's at the door. It's probably my H&M order. <laughs> that's, that's really cool. So what are your articles usually about? So you said they're like fashion, beauty. Are they, are they opinion articles or are they kind of like product reviews? What area do you like to write about the most? So throughout my career, I've done lots of different things. When I started out, I was doing lots of opinion pieces on fashion. I was writing reviews about fashion shows and fashion collections. I did lots of uh, beauty articles as well. Um, I remember once I wrote a story about uh, this new trend that was happening then, must have been maybe 2014, uh, where the model Cara Delevingne, British model, uh, she was rising to prominence and she had really big eyebrows, like really thick, uh, hairy eyebrows. I mean, they are lovely. And uh, I wrote this trend about how our eyebrows are going back to their natural state. That story really resonated in Chile. I think it was shared maybe 500 times. It had like thousands of comments. I was like, wow, this is like really cool. I can write one story and it could reach so many people. Now, what I've been doing for the past uh, three, four years has been more news-based. So I am not writing opinion pieces anymore. I am I am focusing on what fashion companies are doing uh, from the business side. So I'm looking at their accounts. I am looking at their CFO appointments and like management appointments. Um, and I am looking at their strategies. Do you think that a lot of people are looking always for the next thing that, that they can do to themselves that will make them high fashion? Everybody is looking for the beauty standards of the world and uh, beauty trends move a lot. So, for example, the latest beauty trends are everything that you can do to yourself uh, to treat yourself during the lockdown. So lots of people have been going back to painting their own nails, food care, things like that. So where do you find most of the beauty trends that you and like the topics that you want to write about? Is that in Vogue magazines? What, where do you look? Yeah, I do a lot of reading. I read lots of magazines. I love Vogue. I love, I love the business of fashion. Um, Women's Wear Daily is another one. And well, the company, one of the companies that I work for now is called fashionnetwork.com. They also have lots of fashion and beauty stories. Um, that talk about the latest trends in the industry. But also when you are a journalist, you receive lots of reports from research companies and they are researching the next trends and uh, they're sending them to you because they would like you to feature them. So I have access to these reports and they are really interesting and they have like lots of statistical data and uh, sometimes they also forecast what's coming up next. So all this information is really interesting for me and it could be like the basis for a new story idea, right? So it's really good. 
Yeah. I mean, I don't know a lot about journalism. I have a lot of friends that were journalism majors and a few of them who are actually trying to start their own freelancing business, which is why I think that a lot of people will be interested in what you have to say. So after coming from a huge corporate company like CNN, why did you decide to, to go and freelance? I was looking for jobs in Berlin and I could not find something and I was in dire need for money. <laughs> I was trying to survive in a new city where I didn't know anyone except for my boyfriend and uh, I had to pay my rent. So I was doing, I was working at a cafe part-time, but you know, education is expensive in Chile and my, my parents helped, helped a lot um, paying for, for my education. So I always knew that I wanted to pursue a career in the, in, in the studies that I did. So I thought I'll work part-time in a coffee shop and uh, I'll work part-time in doing the thing that uh, I am, you know, trained to do. So that's why I started going into freelancing. Wow. What is the lifestyle like as a freelance journalist? Do you feel like it's a steady workflow? Or do you think that it can be pretty volatile and up and down where you have a ton of work sometimes and then you, you don't have anything other times? I think it depends on the kind of contracts that you negotiate. For me, it has always been more or less stable. Uh, so when I was starting out, I contacted Distrito 56 and uh, they said, well, we love, we love your story ideas, we love your review. Uh, and my angle was, I will write for you about the European fashion industry being based in Berlin. So this is something that no one else that you know can offer because... I, I write in Spanish and I am based here. So I'm like basically at the center of it. And they were interested and they said, okay, we would love for, for you to write maybe one to three features a week. So that's what was one of my first contracts and it was already a stable one. The more you build your, your experience and your portfolio, the more clients will be inclined to work with you and trust that you, that you do your work well. And also your, your work ethics kind of uh, will show will show them that they can trust you and that you are a reliable person to work with so they will be eager to work more with you how did you find these magazines that you wanted to write for was this just hey i really believe in what this magazine stands for what they're trying to do i want to work for them or was it literally like anything in the fashion industry i will take i did write a few i found more interest in smaller companies. Um, so I did write, Paula was a big magazine in Chile at the time. And I wrote them and I sent some story ideas. And because they were bigger, they had more reporters and they had more writers and more contributors. So I found that going for like smaller companies, smaller magazines, uh, Distrito 56 was just starting out, for example. Um, they were more inclined to take anyone who was coming to talk with them. So that was, a re I think that's a good tip for someone who wants to start uh, working as a freelance journalist or content creator is not necessarily to go for like the big fish in the pond, um, go for the smaller ones because they will have less applicants basically. It's just more strategic. So do you think that people could possibly freelance on the side? Have you met a lot of people who have main jobs and then just do like the one-off article on the side? Or do you think this is something that needs a lot of time devoted 
devoted to it. I think you can do it. I think you can, especially at the beginning. If this is something that you want to explore, you're thinking, oh, maybe I would like to be a freelance writer, but I don't know. I think it would be a great idea to do it on the side. And then the more you build your experience and your portfolio and you, you, you get more clients, then you can start dedicating more time. It really depends on you know how much time it takes for you to write a story or write a blog posts. It has to do with if you know your timing, basically. I see. How long does it take you to produce an article? It really depends on the length and the language. In my case, I can write a lot faster in Spanish. When I was younger, it would take me, you know, a long feature would take me two weeks, maybe, for a print publication. And uh, for online blogs, it would take me maybe a day. And uh, now I have a lot more experience and I, I am also writing in English as well. And uh, honestly, it takes me half an hour to do one article. I do it really quickly now. Wow. But it really, it really depends on what you're writing about as well. Because if you're doing a, an, an opinion piece, you need to think a lot, right? You need to like put your ideas uh, in order. And the nature of what I do now is more, um, is more urgent. Like you want to have the stories live as soon as possible. They are news, right? So for example, say H&M is, is going to lay off 100 people. That's like something that needs to be live as soon as possible. You want your readers to know as soon as possible because we have rival companies that will have the same story the idea is to be quick context as well but yeah the important part is that it will be quick so it will take me 20 20 minutes maybe 30 minutes a bit longer if it's uh, an, like a strategy story or a story about accounts or like finance is it hard to go back to your example of H&M or mm -hmm. some brand doing a huge layoff or having a you know strategic change is it hard for you to get quotes from people without having a name like CNN to back you? No, it's not. The client that I work for, fashionnetwork.com, is a big name in the industry in the UK. So companies will be eager to share their information. Something that I learned at CNN is when you're writing a story that will have like a negative impact for someone, for a company or a person, you can always go to the person and say, would you like to respond to that? Because we're running the story. So would you like to have a say? And most of the times, people and companies will want to say something. Because they want to be able to show that they're actually responding to the event and they're aware of it, right? Because yeah. that's their reputation. Yeah, exactly. So what's been one of the most exciting stories you've been able to write on the business strategic side? I think there's a lot of things happening right now throughout last year. The biggest trend or movement in the industry in the UK was the death of the high street, right? People are shopping less in their local shops and they are going online and they're buying whatever they want from online stores. And that's having a huge impact on companies that have uh, big store estates, apartment stores, for example, uh, House of Fraser or Debenhams. They have all collapsed over the last year just because their stores are so massive and just people don't go there anymore. So they're still having to pay high rents, they're having to pay store staff, and they, are, they just can't make uh, ends meet. So that was one of the biggest stories last year. And this year is the way companies are coping with lockdown. The, the coronavirus crisis is going to have a devastating effect on fashion retail. I think. And uh, the effects of that will still be seen in the future. 
I, it's just really interesting seeing what the global pandemic has done to every industry, even you know, corporate America. I know the company that I work for, especially because I work in travel, that's one of the hardest hit industries. Mm-hmm. So just seeing how each company is responding to that is pretty incredible. Just one thing. So the high street that Barbara was talking about, because we don't really use that term in the US. Mm-hmm. So in every town, they have a main street, the main strip, and that's where all the brick and mortar stores are. What Barbara was saying is that a lot of people are going online and purchasing. And it, do you think that's because there's just more of a selection? Or is it more about the simplicity of having it delivered to your home yeah it has a lot to do with convenience i think and um, it's a lot easier to just go online and buy the t-shirt that you were eyeing but i think in the future and this is not clear yet but i think in the future stores will continue to exist there is a space for stores and people still want to go to stores but probably they will be smaller and they will work in a different way than they do today well i'm just thinking about i mean i do a lot of online shopping as Mm -hmm. well but environment um i know as you just said oh did you hear that vibration i think it was just my h&m order (laughs) um but i went to loxitev the the lotion Mm -hmm. store and they have such an amazing environment when you walk in Mm -hmm. especially stores that are in downtown london and you go in and there's flowers everywhere and i will never forget that experience just because it made me feel happy and it was floral and that's why i'll continue to buy their overpriced lotion because I love going into their stores and, and trying everything. Do you think that's why a lot of stores will still remain open? Just because it is such a great marketing tool? Yeah, definitely. That's a really good point. And uh, it's all about experience now. That's what I meant when when I said stores will work in a different way. It won't be as much about clothes hanging in different places. It will be about the experience that you get when you enter the store and the feelings and, you know, like different brand activations that you can take part in. Maybe you you will be able to share a lot more things um, that you see online with your followers because that's a big trend as well. So it will be all about using the store as marketing and as a way of telling the story of the brand rather than just walking in, buying a T-shirt and walking out. Now, I really wanted to hear your opinion and kind of your advice for people who are looking to do the same thing. Let's say somebody who's just come out of out of university, have their topic that they know they're passionate about, know what they want to write. What would be the first few steps that you would suggest that they take? I would say, first of all, when you know what you want to do and what area you want to focus on, you could start a blog. And that's something that I did as well. I started my own blog and I was writing fashion stories and I was learning by doing that and I was getting very comfortable writing. If you're going to be selling your stories, then you have to be very comfortable writing and in your ability that you can do that. Um, And it also works as a a kind of like a showcase of your work, right? Because at the beginning, you don't have any of that. Maybe you will have some assignments that you've done for uni and that's good as well. But, you know, having a significant amount of work that you can showcase will be better than having none. So start a blog and then start writing different uh, magazines or like media companies or blogs um, that you're interested in working with and send them your story ideas. And it will be important that your story ideas are unique and that they are interesting and try to sell sell it to them. Once you've done that, you can start building more of your your portfolio and you can get more and bigger clients. So when you say sell it to them, what does that sales pitch look like? Are you going to their office and doing a presentation or is it email conversation? 
Yeah, it's mostly online. Editors will be very busy and they will most likely receive lots of lots of emails. So just do it online and send them and drop them an email and say, I'm interested in contributing for you and uh, I could write a story about this. Kind of like explain a little bit without giving away too much, right? Because that's that's your intellectual property, right? That's your idea. You don't want them to take it and just use it. <laughs> so give them maybe one or two ideas that they can consider and then obviously follow up later, like maybe a few days later, a week later, follow up and ask if they've had time to look at it and if they've thought about it. That's how it goes, really. Talking about contracts earlier, how long are those contracts usually? Is it usually like year-long contracts or amount of articles produced? Um, it really depends on what you negotiate with your client. Um, you can have a contract for one single feature. They can say, you know, we're interested in that story and it's going to be it's going to be a long feature. So we'll hire you for that. And then you do a contract for that. Or you can have a longer contract like the one I have with Fashion Network, uh, which has been three years going. And uh, it's an open ended contract that I will either me or them will end with a month notice. And um, that's how it is. But you can really negotiate and talk with them. Um, and I think if, for example, if you're interested in doing longer features and uh, you negotiate with your employer and they say, yeah, this is good, you write one for them. Maybe next, if you do a good job, they will be interested in, in hiring you for a next one in commissioning another story from you. You build a relationship with them and then you, you get you get a sense of what they want and how often they would like to to work with you. Interesting. So do you have to have a lawyer to help through any legality issues or is it cut and dry and you know that people are will stick to their word? Yeah, I don't I don't have a lawyer. I do have an accountant that helps me with my finances. Um, I think the finance part is a bit more difficult than the contract part because sometimes clients will take their time to pay uh, and you have to chase them. That's not something that the accountant will do. The accountant helps me with paying my taxes. But mm. um, yeah, I think the more uh, the more difficult part will be sometimes, you know, having to chase your client and say, please, like you, you owe me this much money. I mean, I sent you an invoice and I'm, I'm waiting. Wow. It's, it's not as easy as a payroll button, right? Where you get a salary yeah. like every month. <laughs> Exactly. Especially if you're working with smaller companies. So at the beginning, one of the smaller clients that I had, they just didn't have the money to pay because they were starting out. So I had to I had to wait a few months for them to honor the invoices. And in the end, I had to resort to some online shaming. Uh, I have to say I, I had to write something online uh, for them to finally pay me. <laughs> um, I think something else that's really attractive to a lot of people who want to go into freelance is the lifestyle. Um, everybody wants to be their own boss and everybody also wants to be able to now, I feel like, travel the world. Looking forward, what are your, your goals, like your own personal journalism goals and what you want to accomplish within the next five years? I think I, I am moving away from journalism. I have been doing this for quite a few years and it's been great and I've learned so much. And I think all that knowledge I will take with me. I kind of want to start working with people now because I am home-based and um, I'm thinking I would like to work in an office. So this is, this is gonna be the big project for me for the next five years will be to get a job in an office and possibly not in journalism, possibly in marketing. 
I am considering that. I am pregnant at the moment and uh, I will have my baby in four or five months. Five months, I think. Yeah, you know. Um, <laughs> so it will be, I'm, I'm educating myself more on marketing. And uh, once the baby's here, I'm going to look into moving into marketing and do do a bit of a career change. And then final question, which is something that I like to ask everyone who comes on to Side Pitch, is just overall, what are three pieces of advice that you have for somebody that's looking to freelance, either on the side of what they're currently doing or maybe wanting to quit their job and make it their full-time career? Just get out there and do it. It's not easy, but you you need to have a lot of uh, initiative, I think, and a lot of motivation. And you have to believe in yourself as well. Like like I said before, being a freelancer means you have to be a go-getter. You have to go and uh, write the clients that you want to work with and offer your services. They will not come to you. They don't know you. So it will have to be you. So it's all about taking the initiative to follow that dream that you have and um, just taking the leap. If someone listens to this and is extremely inspired, where can they find you to connect with you? Well, you can drop me an email. My email is barbarasantamaria at gmail.com. Or you can find me on Instagram with my with my name. I don't know about you guys, but I cannot stop thinking about what it would be like to be in the CNN newsroom when the Pope resigned. And I'm sure that she has a lot more stories where that came from. It just amazes me that regardless of industry or even country, Babada was able to continuously prove that she had stories that people wanted to read. And the way she did it was just by putting herself out there. That being said, that wraps up episode two of Side Pitch. You can find us on Spotify, Apple Music, CastBox, and anywhere else you can stream podcasts. You can now also find us on www.sidepitchpodcast.com. I believe that all content should be accessible, so there you can find all of the audio transcriptions for the released episodes of Side Pitch, along with some other cool things. So check it out. For episode three, we're actually going to take a pretty big turn from the content, social media, and publication side and go towards sports. You know, I got to figure out a better sign-off, so I guess we'll just leave it with hear you next week. Oh, God, that's so bad. We're coming, coming for you.